Well, thank you, Pastor Mark, and to all you people that are visiting and to the regulars here. Uh, most likely now you're thinking, my stars, I came to hear Pastor, and he's brought this guy in from the South. What's this all about? Well, I've been watching the series that you've been enjoying over the last couple of weeks, and it only stands to reason if you're going to be in this summer love series, you ought to bring somebody from Woodstock. So... Um, the kids now are saying, what did he mean by that, Mom? Matter of fact, 26 years ago when Woodstock came after me, uh, I remember uh, asking, is that where they did that concert thing? So a little further north there, John, and uh, sure enough in New York. But it is really good to be here. Uh, we have really bonded as a couple. Truth is, we've already lined up our vacations together to be with uh, each other next year. We quickly are becoming BFFs, and so I'm grateful to God for your pastor and uh, his wife and their entire family. We've had a great time. I haven't mentioned this in any of the services I've spoken so far, but uh, we're vacationing in uh, Panama City Beach. That's Redneck Riviera, and uh, that's what they named it themselves, and my wife loves NASCAR, so you do the math. So uh, we're enjoying ourselves there. And so the other day we slipped into a church down there. We just wanted to go to worship. Mark and I have been talking about how since we preach all the time, uh, we hardly ever get to hear anyone else. So we just slipped in. The music was just starting. We wanted to sit on the back row. We got next to the back row. And we're just sitting there minding our own business. They were singing. There was a tap on my shoulder. Pastor said, Johnny Hunt, what are you doing here? Man, we love you down here. We watch you on the web, yada, yada, yada. Would you please preach today? I'm thinking, he's kidding us. I've been pastoring 36 years. never happened to me in my whole life. I looked over at my wife, and she thought, I'd rather hear you than him. But anyway, um, just kidding. But So I, I ended up preaching for him. But I have, I've had nothing on my schedule of traveling except to come over here and enjoy uh, the Hoovers and then to be with you in the four services. So I'm delighted to be here. I'm teaching this morning from Psalms 103. In Psalms 103, we find the psalmist. He's getting a little older in life now. He's looking back and he's reflecting. He's at a point in his life that undoubtedly he's thinking about what's meant the most to him thus far in life. And so he begins with words that have been put to songs and words that most likely all of you have heard in some context. He says something like this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. All that's within me, every fiber of my being. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all of my strength. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And the question is, what are the benefits? And he lists five. And we're going to just walk through those this morning. And they're just benefits that ought to cause praise to rise up within us. This prayer has been referred to as a self-transcending prayer. You may say, what do you mean, a self-transcending prayer? It means that the worshiper has gone into the presence of God, but he's gone there sort of sluggish in his soul. Truth is, like we are sometimes, when it's time to go and worship, we don't really want to go. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to church when you didn't want to go? And by the way, don't raise your hand. It would really intimidate me. But the bottom line is that you really didn't want to be there. But then when you left, if you were bold, you said something like this. Hey, Pastor, i got to just be honest with you this morning. I didn't really want to come this morning. But I'm telling you through the music and through your message, God spoke deep in the recesses of my heart. And I am thrilled that I came. In other words, here he is with a sluggish soul. 
He's having, listen to this, literally, here's how it translates. He is having a talk with himself. He's talking to us, so it's not unusual for me to be in the living room, my wife, uh, be in a room right next to me, and I hear her talking, and I go in and say, what was that, sweetheart? And she says, nothing, I'm just talking to myself. Do you, have, you, have you ever had a talk with your own soul? Have you ever told yourself, you need to get over that? I mean, you're just talking. That's exactly what he's doing. So he's telling himself, bless the Lord, all my soul, all this within me. I mean, look at his benefits. And then he lists five benefits. I had the opportunity when we were flying through Atlanta Airport on our way here. I told Janet, I said, you know, I have been studying so much theology. I've read some books around some subjects that I'm teaching on. I'd really like to just find a good read. And so I walked into the bookstore there in the Atlanta Hartsville Airport, and believe it or not, it had an inspirational section. And I saw Billy Graham's latest book. It's entitled Nearing Home. And so I read the majority of it on the flight coming over here, and and it just meant so much to me. And I've had the privilege to be friends with his son, Franklin, and then Janet and I went over and spent an afternoon uh, a couple of years ago with with Dr. Graham. He's uh, 94 years old now. Uh, He was writing and reminding us that... uh, uh, George Beverly Shea's 103, just been recognized with one outstanding uh, Grammy Award. Uh, it's just amazing. So, so I'm reading the book, and it's just really blessing me. So I thought, I, I want him to know. It's just blessing me. So his grandson, Will's an evangelist. So he, he's on Twitter, too. So I put a note to him on Twitter and also sent it to Billy Graham Evangelist Association and immediately responded back, and here's what he said. He said, listen, Granddaddy was really encouraged when I told him what you had tweeted And he said, and he wanted me to tell you that right now he's sitting in the living room and he's writing his 31st book. And he said, and the title of it is one word, salvation. And then he asked this. He said, hey, Johnny, can you think of anybody better than my granddaddy, Billy Graham, to write a book on salvation? That's what this is about, salvation. Let me tell you what's so significant about this passage. He's in prayer. He's blessing the Lord with everything that's within him. And he makes five statements, and this is a miracle, no request. Have you, have you ever tried to pray without making a request? Good night. That's all I do is make requests. I mean, this morning, I went out while the sun was rising over at the water park in, in whatever, waterfront, wherever I'm staying, and I was um, just reading devotionally and, and praying, and I found myself saying, you know, Lord, bless so-and-so as he speaks in my absence at First Woodstock. God, I pray you'd use me today at New Springs. Pray your blessings on Pastor Mark and Miss Mary Alice. And then I pray for my wife and my children, my grandchildren. And, and just everything's a request. Could you imagine spending time in Christ's presence where you do nothing but thank him for what he's already done? So that's what he does. So someone here today may say, you know, I always hear people talk about being a Christian. What's the big deal? Well, I'm going to show you the big deal. It is such a big deal that this man looks back in his older age as he's doing what Billy Graham's doing, nearing home, and he talks about five things. Let me just mention them to you and see if I can whet your appetite. He talks about what it means to have his sins forgiven. Uh, I, I received Christ when I was 20 years old, snowy Sunday night, Wilmington, North Carolina, my hometown. And uh, I'd never been to an evening service, never been to a Bible study uh, class. I'd never owned a Bible. My dad was an alcoholic, checked out when I was seven years old. Mom raised six of us in a government project. I quit school when I was 16, no purpose, no direction in life. Managed a pool room for four years. All I ever desired to do was to be a pool hustler. And yet on that Sunday night, listen to this, the most significant single event that's ever taken place in my life, it's a big deal. Christ changed my life. My sins were forgiven. He talks about it. He's reflecting, looking back, and talking about what it meant. Well, someone may say, so that's it. That's the big deal. No, no, no. The Bible also says he heals your diseases. 
So we're going to talk about that. Just what does it mean that you heal? How many of you know that when you come to Christ, it doesn't mean that all your problems are gone? Thank you very much. It really doesn't. It's that little old song the kids used to sing is, God's still working on me. It took him just a week to make the sun and the moon, but God is still working on me. So, so don't get too aggravated with me because God's not through. He's still working on me. But then he also says, you know what he did? Listen to this. This is one of my favorite parts. He saves us from a life of destruction. Hey, do any of you remember the old song? <laughs> you used to sing about where would I be but for the Lord? And it was like, say, say when you came to Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Where would you be if Jesus had not intersected your life when he did? By the way, we hear the testimony often. Hey, I went over the New Springs, gave my life to Jesus Christ. I've heard people say this, Mark. It may have been my last opportunity. Bottom line is, had I not come to Jesus when I did, I, I don't know where I would be today. He saves you from a life of destruction. Then he goes on, he says, and he crowns you with loving kindness and mercy. But then my favorite part, and those of you that are 50 or older, when I get to this part, this is going to help you. It's just going to encourage you. But he says, you know what he does? He fills my mouth with good things, and he renews my strength like the eagle. And so it's just loaded. And so I want us to dive in and talk about this passage just a little bit and talk about what it means. What is it I'm praising for? In other words, you're at worship today. You got up. There's a lot of other things you could have done. But for some reason, you thought either I need to go, I want to go, I ought to go. Uh, sometimes I've gotten up before and thought, I, I just don't feel like going. I remember one morning I got up and just said, I, I just don't think I'm going to go. So a lot of people make the same decision and decide not to go. Matter of fact, I said to my wife, you tell me one good reason I should go. She said, you're the pastor. So anyway, I, I went. <laughs> so in this passage, I want us to deal with these five thoughts and kind of just use this as a springboard, I pray here on the first day of the week to make a significant difference in our life. The Bible says, who forgives our iniquity. Anytime the word forgive is used in God's word, anywhere in Scripture, it always refers, without exception, to God's forgiveness of sinners. In other words, when somebody says, I've been forgiven, it means that you came sometime in your life to acknowledge that you were a sinner. Uh, I've had people to be offended when I, they want me to share the gospel, and I'd say, well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you realize you're a sinner? Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I never said that. When somebody asks me, do you realize you're a sinner? I'm thinking, hello, <laughs> do I? Yes, sir. I was at a table recently, and it's sort of something I practice, and I do it more when I'm by myself because I don't want everyone, anyone to ever think that I share my faith just to impress them. So I'm having lunch one day, and the lady's waiting on me, and I finally said, hey, ma'am, I'm getting ready to return thanks for this food. Anything I can pray for you about? She started crying. She looked at me. She said, oh, my God. She said, my dad died a year ago today, and I am struggling like ever. She said, are you an angel? I said, would you like to ask my wife? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not an angel. I'm a sinner. But I've been forgiven. I am a forgiven sinner. When he refers to our sins, he calls it iniquity. It pictures sin as something twisted or distorted. In other words, my mind and my thoughts about my need for Jesus Christ were twisted and distorted. You know what I used to think? I'd ride by a church, and I would basically say this. See some of the people going in? Some of them I knew, and I thought this. If he's a Christian, so am I. I always compared myself with other people. But let me tell you what God does. When God raises the blinds so you can see who the creator of this world is, how he revealed himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, how he's the standard and statue by which we will be measured, no longer you compare yourself to the people around you. You see how short you fall in the presence of God. 
See, it was Isaiah when he went into the temple, and the Bible says the Lord was high and lifted up, and he began to say those words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was not until he saw, this is awesome, it was not until Isaiah saw God for who he was until he could see himself for who he was. The moment that he saw him lifted up and saw who he was, he said these words, I am a man of unclean lips. He saw himself, and he said, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so forgiveness of iniquity speaks of an ingrained perversity, all the bentness of our being. We need Christ in our life. Pastor Mark and I were talking about one of the reasons ministry is so narcotic, his word, is because we realize what we're doing is not dependent on us. Unless the Spirit of God takes the truth that we share and he honors the gospel, he's the one who raises the blinds, lets the light in so we can see ourselves as God would have us to see ourselves in need of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody says to me, Pastor Johnny, I've heard you preach, but, but I just don't know that I believe it. They never will until Christ. I didn't believe it until Christ helped me to see. We do a little pastor's reception after our two morning worship services. And uh, one, one fella came through some time back, and I just never forget this. He came through, and he said, hey, Pastor Johnny, they put a name tag on him. We had a gift for him. And so I just said this to him. I said, man, delighted to have you with us today. Is this your first time here? He said, no, I've been coming for three months. Well, that encourages me, I think. Good night, three months, hadn't struck out yet. And so here's what he said. He said, but I always wanted to come by and speak to you because I won't be coming back. Well, I thought maybe somebody had offended him. And so I thought, man, I, I hope I can make it right. What happened? He said, oh, not, 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 not that at all. He said, you see, I've been coming for three months, and I'm just not convinced that I believe what you've been teaching. And I said, well, man, thanks for coming for three months. He said, well, let me tell you why I came. He said, I'm not convinced that what you're teaching is true, but to hear you preach it, I'm convinced that you're convinced that it's true. And see, by the way, did you know that my calling in life is not to convince you? I do not have the convincing, the power to convince you that the gospel's true. And if I convince you it's true, someone else can convince you that it's not true. But God the Holy Spirit can take the gospel and absolutely convince us forever that it's true and change us from the inside out, radically make all of the difference. So my duty when I stand on Sunday is not to convince you, but for me to stand and convince, and I just want to say something, my sins have been forgiven. I am convinced. I bought in. He's made himself known to me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 that the Holy Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Not only does this Bible speak to me, but God's Spirit speaks to me, and he's changed my life. In the word forgiveness in the Old Testament and in the New Testament has a great meaning. Listen to this. It means to take away and put somewhere else. That's forgiveness, to take away and put somewhere else. So I may say, uh, my sins are forgiven, which means my sins have been sent away. You have every right to say, well, where did they go? Great question. God laid my sins on Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus Christ received the wrath of God on the cross that should have been poured out on my sins, but Christ paid the debt. I love what Pastor Mark prays. He's done it every service, and I'd never heard it quite that way. His blood was the currency that paid for my sins. And so the Bible teaches that I have been forgiven. 
Now, how many of you know that once you become forgiven, you still can struggle in your life? Uh, other people may say, well, he says he's forgiven, but I know what he did to me one time, and they'll never forgive you. We struggle ourselves with forgiving ourselves for some of the things we've done. And did you know the Bible even says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? Hey, have you ever heard this statement before? I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, and it's like the devil just sits here on my shoulder and whispers all kind of lies in my ears. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus Christ said, every lie that's ever been spoken, Satan is the originator of. But I don't understand that phrase. He's the accuser of the brethren. In the oldest wisdom literature in your Bible, it predates itself to the book of Genesis is the book of Job. And people that have never read the Bible will still run around and say, I'll tell you to work at this place I need the patience of Job. Everybody knows about Job. And Job went through all of his difficulties, and God was giving us that for the first writings in the Bible. Well, the Bible teaches that the, the accuser of the brethren went up and made all kinds of accusations. He said, yeah, you think Job is serving you, but he don't just serve you for nothing. You take some things away from Job, he'll curse you to his face. And what did Job end up saying? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, it just, oh, sign one up for Jesus. I mean, out of the park. Well, he accuses us, comes to us sometimes and says, yeah, you're a Christian. Look how you're acting. Look, look what you're thinking. I was thinking one day when um, the devil stands before Jesus, listen carefully. I believe it's the only time he ever tells the truth. He said, what do you mean, Pastor Johnny? Why should he lie? The Bible speaks that Jesus Christ is omniscient. He knows everything. Why well, try to lie to someone that knows everything? And so he tells the truth. And by the way, he doesn't have to lie to bring up bad things on me. He can stand before him and say, hey, Jesus, Johnny Hunt, you claim he's one of your servants? Did you, did you see how he treated that person when they told him his flight had been canceled? So he tells them. So question, Pastor Johnny, how do you feel the Lord Jesus responds when Satan accuses you before your heavenly father? I believe he raises his hands and reminds them that the reason I'm forgiven is not because I'm perfect, but because he offered a perfect sacrifice. The book of Revelations reveals that when John, the apostle on the Isle of Patmos, saw Jesus Christ in heaven, he saw him as one slain from the foundation of the world. An old songwriter put it this way, the only thing there that's been made by man are the scars in the hands of Jesus. When you get to heaven, everything will be perfect in heaven except the scars and the marks that Jesus bears. You want me to personally just speak into that? I believe the reason it is is because all through eternity, when we've been there 10,000 years, no one will stand and boast about what you did to get there. Everybody that will ever enter the gates will get there because of what he did. And so he just raises his hands. We pose this question oftentimes, a little question that says, uh, suppose you were standing before God right now, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you'd say? Well, I got to thinking and preaching a message along those lines one day, and, and after I preached the message, it inspired a song in my church, and the song became number one contemporary song across America. There was all kinds of awards given, sold lots and lots of the songs, my oldest daughter, Deanna, married Jake Carswell. Her daddy is Eddie Carswell, which started the group, New Song. They are the largest venue uh, with their uh, traveling group 
uh, as any group in the world. They were here recently with 10 other bands. 560,000 people went to hear them sing last year. I mean, I'm telling you, Justin Bieber didn't have that type crowd last year. It's remarkable. I mean, they're number one group of drawing people into a venue of anybody in the whole world. So I thought it was kind of cool. So the song says this, when we stand before the Lord, listen to me carefully, we will be speechless. Bible talks about this. By the time I'd go even deeper to show you where Jesus tells the story about people trying to come in without the right garment, and, and he says they were speechless. Have you noticed on television when they do a particular trial of some celebrity how the person that is on trial never speaks a word, never speaks a word, their attorney speaks for them? Did you know that First John chapter 2, verse 2 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? Did you know that we have a mediator between man and God, and that man is Jesus Christ? Do you know that we have an act in attorney? When I stand before God, if some angel were to step up and say, hey, Father, why does Johnny Hunt get to come in? I believe Jesus Christ would stand up with nail-scarred hands and say, Father, this one's with me. Part of the family. That's why I died on Calvary. That became the song, Father, This One's With Me, became number one song. They recognized me. Gave me a big plaque from the radio, I mean, from the uh, producing company. It's on my wall in my office. And so Carswell, a new song came by. I said, man, aren't you proud? You got a plaque. And I said, hey, guys, I'm proud of the credit, but I want some cash. But anyway, uh, <laughs> just kidding. He's the accuser of the brethren. So here, here it is. Bless the Lord, all my soul, all that's within me. Bless this holy name. Why? He forgives my crookedness. Hey, here's what it is. Jesus Christ straightened me out. Jesus Christ got me to see clearly. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We were talking last night, uh, just kind of kidding about uh, different places where people live. The Bible teaches that when Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, got converted, you know where he went? To the street called Straight. It's amazing. Jesus has a way of straightening us out. The Bible says he heals our diseases. For lack of time, let me just say this. How many of you know, as we mentioned a moment ago, when you get converted to Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that all your problems went away. God forbid a weak gospel, which is really no gospel at all, that says, come to Jesus and you'll never have another problem. If anybody ever tells you that, sing this song, liar, liar, pants on fire. It's just not true. Truth is, we come to Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven, we're a child of God, but there oftentimes we're still struggling with the guilt even though we've received grace. We still have fears in our life. We still have some things that have got strongholds on us that we're going to need to break free, free of. Sometimes we've still got some doubts in our life. Whatever may be going on, here's what happens. Even though Jesus has set you free and the prison doors are swung open and you walked out, you walked out, but you're dragging a ball and chain. And he's come, he's come to heal your diseases. He's come to deal also with those things that have become encumbrances to hinder you in the race that Christ has now placed you in. See, the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the literal translation with the verb phrase, it says this, any person in Christ is a new creation, period. Old things, listen to the tense of the verb, are passing away. All things are becoming new. Now, when we say all things are new, oh, they're new, but I'm telling you, there's still a whole lot of stuff. And he said, I've come to deal with that stuff as well. Jesus Christ wants us not only to be able to thank him and praise him with every five of our being that we're forgiven, but he also wants us to praise him that we're free. But then my favorite part, he says, who redeems your life from destruction. 
That means being rescued. It refers to the consequences of receiving God's healing. He redeems your life from going to waste. A little book I read not long ago by John Piper entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. In other words, I've been bought and I've been brought. In other words, the Bible teaches that he brought me out that he may bring me in. And so basically, when I came to Christ, that's just the beginning of the new life. He wants me to embrace him, embrace his purpose, his will, his direction for my life, and how beautiful that can be. See, he didn't just redeem my soul from hell. He's redeemed my life from destruction. And so that's why I've got to praise him because I think, you know, I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. I have a testimony I want you to hear. Listen to this. I'm absolutely convinced God had a better plan for my life than I did. I want to go a step further. I'm absolutely convinced God has a better plan for your life than you do. When I came to Christ, if Jesus would have just said, uh, what do you want me to do with you? I'll be honest. I would have never requested of him what he has chosen to grace to me. This is the way. I asked someone last night, I said, how are you doing, sir? He said, better than I deserve. <laughs> I thought, boy, that's a true statement. Uh, or or how, how are you doing? Uh, overwhelmingly blessed. Thank God. doesn't mean that I don't have struggles. doesn't mean that I don't have issues. But the bottom line is God has been better than me. I tell my wife often, I travel a lot overseas training missionaries, speaking into the indigenous people, just returned from Turkey, training 80 Iranian church planners. They all had to flee for their life. All of them had spent at least three to five years in prison. I've got one friend in Iran, Iran that's a church planner that I invested a great deal in. He's been in prison for two years. I pray for him every morning. His name's Farshid. I'm just telling you, God, whoever dreamed, who, who dreamed God would take me out of a government project, a high school dropout, and send me to the uttermost parts of the earth to preach the gospel? Whoever believed that God's got a better plan? And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean everybody becomes a preacher. It means if you're a businessman, you use that platform to make a difference for Jesus Christ, a school teacher, a housewife, whatever you're doing, you use it for him. He's the one who saved us from sin, but he also saved me from myself, a life of self-destruction. So he brought me out that he could bring me in to use me. So, so why, why did he save you? I heard Charles Stanley say one time that if God saved you just to take you to heaven, it'd be better for him to save you, kill you, and, and get you there. But God left you here for a reason. Have you ever thought, what, what on earth am I doing here? Why, why is God living in me? I wrote a series of sermons recently, and I entitled it, Refusing to Leave the World the Way I Found It. And, and at Woodstock, Georgia, I've been there 26 years. Listen to me. I refuse. I refuse to leave earth knowing that God lives inside of me, and, and, and if he lives inside of me, that means he lives in the Woodstock area. If he lives in you, he lives here. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But if God lives in me, I'm telling you, Woodstock ought to look different when I leave there. And so we want to make a difference, and we've impacted. We have a lot to do, but we've impacted thousands of lives for his kingdom. Well, quickly, the Bible says, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. God lavishes positive blessings upon us. He crowns us. That is, he makes us child of his king. I have a habit. I would call it an addiction. About 20 years ago, I started getting up every morning, putting the coffee on, grab my Bible, and I read the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds with the day. That means you can do it every, every month. And I realize there's 28 days, 30 days, and you just read ahead and you do it. So this morning, I set out by the waterfront 
with an open Bible and a cup of coffee, and I read Proverbs 22. My favorite proverb in all of the Bible is this, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. You may be jealous of how well somebody's done, but you will never be jealous of how well your children do. He blesses your children after him. I, I, listen to this verse. I have two daughters, and, and God's, God's blessed me. One's married to a young church planter. He's a preacher. The other is in Christian ministry in this concert series and, and conferences for Christians. And here's the, here's the verse that I've dedicated to my kids. Listen to this, the proverb, Proverb 23, 24. Listen to this, Mark. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. It says, let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. We rejoice and thank God for Holly and Deanna. We're grateful to God for Peter. He's preaching in Philadelphia this morning. He pastors in Smyrna, Georgia. And, and I texted him early this morning and said, I'm so proud of you, son, and I'm praying for you as you preach this morning. I mean, what, what is better? But in Proverbs chapter 22, when I was reading this morning, it says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And you know what riches are? Riches are anything money can't buy and death can't steal. That's genuine riches. That's when somebody says, I've lost my mother, but I thank God for the memories. Riches can't purchase memories. Riches can't purchase love. And death, death can't steal it. I've been married to my wife for... Um, 41 years, and uh, we, we've had a wonderful relationship. Uh, she was 17, 17 days when we got married. Now, I just need to say to all of you teenagers are here, and you're thinking, see, Mama, see, Mama? Here's what I want to say to you. That was back in those days, and that would be, say, equivalent to about 30 today if you translate the Greek New Testament. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought that would bring around. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, somebody said, what in the world you get married so young for? Well, I got tired of taking her home. <laughs> Number two, the Bible says train a child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. And so I just, I went ahead and got me a child, married her, and she's been with me 41 years. I told her the other day, I said, uh, you, you know what's wonderful, Janet? We've been together 41 years. And I said, uh, I, I just really deeply love you. And I said, uh, and I get to spend all eternity with you. She said, yeah, but according to the Bible, you won't be my husband in heaven. And I said, yeah, but you can't date anybody else. <laughs> but anyways, uh, <laughs> you're probably writing that down. Thing. I've never heard that before. I've never thought about stuff like that before. So, so the Bible teaches he crowns with loving kindness and tender mercies, a loving favor rather than silver and gold. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. God is better to us than any of us deserve. His mercies are new every morning. How many mornings have I woke up and thank God that yesterday's over? Mark, when we went through what we went through, I've never in my whole life, living, I turned 60 this past Tuesday. I'm listening for the gasp. Uh, and I turned 60 years old. And, and here's what I've got a confession to make. 2010 is the only year I've ever, at the end of the year, said, thank God this year is over. There was you go through times. But you know what you think? His compassions fail not. 
He restored me. He restored your pastor. God did a work in our life. Let me give you this last statement I'm through. It's my favorite. This is for those of you 50 or over. Now, this will help you. So now, let me just do this. If you would, if you're sitting beside someone 50 or older, say this to them. This is going to help you. Just go ahead and tell them right now. Some of, some of, you see this? Some of the ladies are already ticked off. It's a Greek word. They're looking and saying, don't let him know I'm 50. Here it is, and I'm through. Who satisfies your mouth with the good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, now listen, you got to listen f- carefully here because I read that, and one of the things I do is I pull down my study helps to make sure I understand every word. The word mouth in the Hebrew that's used here in verse number 5 translates old age or duration of years. So here's how it reads. Who satisfies your old age or your duration of years with good things so that, purposeful statement, your youth is renewed like the eagle. What in the world does that mean? It's referring to what's called the molting, molting process with an eagle. As an eagle grows older, he loses feathers, and God gives him new ones. It's a picture of renewing strength. The Bible puts it this way in the book of Romans. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. D.L. Moody said he prayed for four months during a dry spell in his life. He said he'd say, God, show me yourself. Instead of God showing him himself, all he showed him is himself. He said, God showed me some things that he was not pleased with. He said, I got them all confessed out. And at the end of four months, he said, God renewed me. Listen to the statement. D.L. Moody said, God so renewed me that on one occasion, I actually thought about praying that he would stay his hand on my life because I felt my body was too fragile to receive more of his fullness. He said, here's what happened. God so renewed me that the next four years were greater than all the years I'd known in serving the Lord. I I wonder if there's someone here that needs to be renewed in your faith. Uh, I'll just close with this um, story. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Caleb. You remember Joshua and Caleb, don't you? They're the ones that went into the promised land. They came out and said, this is ours. It's like bread. Let's, let's go for it. And the other ten said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't take the land. Joshua was 40 years old. They wandered for 40 years, then it took five years to conquer the land. After they conquered the land, they got together, and Joshua was going to distribute the land to the different tribes, and he came to Caleb, and here's what he said. And this is why one of Caleb's one of my favorites. He said, Caleb... What part of the land would you like? He said, give me the mountains of Hebron. Pastor, what's so significant about that? Forty-five years prior, here's what he said. Lord, I want the mountains of Hebron. Here's a great statement to go home on. When I'm finishing, I want to desire from my heavenly Father what I desired when I started that first love, what God put in my heart. But there's so many distractions. There's so many things we begin to take for granted. When's the last time we met before him just to praise him for what he's done instead of just making requests for other things that we need, just to bless him and to say, God, use me. Give me the mount. Here's what he said. He said, I'm 85 years old today, and I'm as strong as I was in a man for war 
when I was 40. I, I want my last days to be my best days. I still believe my best days are ahead of me. I believe Mark's best days are ahead of him. We're still dreaming, believing that God could use us. You know what my two passionate desires are? Number one, take as many people to heaven with me as I can. Number two, to help develop as many fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as I possibly can with the life that I've got left. Whether here all over the world where God opens the door to train leaders. What's going on in your life? What are you praising him for? Is, Is every fiber of your being involved? Only one life, only one life, soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Martin Luther put it this way. I've held many things in my hands. I've lost it all. Everything I've placed in God's hands, I still possess. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, as Mark comes, speak into our hearts. If there are those that don't know you yet, never have been forgiven of their iniquity, saved from a life of destruction, redeemed from their diseases, crowned with God's compassion of mercy, renewed with the strength of eagles. Oh, God, may today be today. Draw each of us closer to you and more in love with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark. Thank you, Johnny. In all four services, I've gotten to listen to Johnny this weekend. I just have loved the part where he talked about Jesus flipping his hands up in heaven when the accuser comes, revealing the nail scars. And guys, let me just tell you, throughout the years at New Spring, you've heard me say something time and time again, that is that I hate religion because religion is man's flailing attempt to try to connect with God. The Word of God, the Bible, if you're holding a Bible in your hand, that's the story of God's desire to connect with you. And you and I don't have anything to bring to the table except our brokenness. See, that's why religion will never work. And... uh, I, I just don't want to leave here today. I know we're late, and I'll just take another moment or so. But I don't want to leave here today without making you an offer or an opportunity. Um, the price to get into heaven has already been paid. You can't add anything to it, and you can't, you can't pay for your own sin unless you choose to spend an eternity in hell, which was never made for people. It was made for Satan and his angels. But uh, God has gone to extreme lengths to pay the price for you. Every time you see a cross, you're seeing a reminder of the fact that God put his son on a cross. If you wonder who killed Jesus, as strange as it may sound, it was the Father, the Bible says, who, as though he sentenced Jesus for your and my crimes, he died on the cross for you. Now, here's the thing, and and I'm getting ready, and tomorrow night I start four nights speaking to the high school camp. High schools are leaving tomorrow. And I've been preparing to talk to high schoolers. And I've been studying the scriptures. And here's one thing that I saw, and I'll be bringing this talk tomorrow night. From the end of the Bible, where the Antichrist requires the mark on the forehead, all the way back to the beginning of Cain and Abel, the Bible is one story after another of people who had to make a choice, either for God or against him. There is no middle ground where Jesus is concerned. You know, you can't kiss up to Jesus one day and flip him off the next. It is all about having a relationship where you have made a decision. You don't have to bring anything. You can't earn it, but you do have to decide. You have to settle. In fact, I was thinking about this. Our theme this week is devotion. You know what the middle word of devotion is? Boat. 
Later on this year, you're going to vote. You're going to make a choice. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't made your choice to receive the one who loves you so much that he would go to the ultimate extreme to pay for your eternal life, I want you to make that decision today. You say, Mark, I don't understand everything about it. Hey, I was eight years old when I prayed to receive Christ. I'm 55. I'll turn 56 in a few weeks. I still don't understand everything about it. Guys, listen to me, please. Here's what I get. God has made me an offer, an offer of a free gift. I'm not very bright, but I know how to say yes. And all I'm asking is that you'll say yes to him. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. This is not an incantation. These are just words that summon up feelings. And if you have these feelings and you mean this from your heart, there is a living, resurrected Jesus on the other hand. Who, and he, listen, you won't have to talk him into it. He's bending over listening for you right now. And if you'll take Johnny's message, what Johnny just talked to you about, what God wants to do for you, and you'll personally internalize that and receive it, while wow, you'll walk out of here forgiven of sins, past, present, and future, and you'll have something. You talk about riches that can't be taken away. You'll have something that can never be taken away, God's forgiveness, his adoption of you as a daughter or son. You ready? I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you'll pray it with me and mean it from your heart, God will listen. Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Can't undo it. And I can't change myself. And I don't want to pay for my sin. I believe your son Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe his blood was a currency that paid for my sin in full. I receive your gift of everlasting life and membership in your family. Thank you. Give me the strength to live the life you want me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, have a gift I want to give you. It's a little packet. looks like this. It's got a book that I wrote. Actually, I wrote this book in some of the worst times of my life in 2010 that Johnny was talking about, but it's what I knew for sure. How to know for sure that you have a relationship with God. It's part of the packet plus a DVD and a coupon for a new Bible. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, please come by guest services back there at the back or by the coffee shop. Guys, next weekend, we're going to go right back to Summer of Love. I'll be talking about how sexy commitment is. I know that may sound strange, but you got to be back to hear it next week. Ryan.